appropriately, we're talking about the book of Job. Now, if you were reading this, getting a bit confused, we'll talk about that. And if you're also wondering, how do you cover a book of Job in 30 minutes? You don't. So that's why it's going to be three hours. Uh, no, no. Remember, I'll, I'll never forget the lady that when we were not at this church, but a different church, when we walked all the way through the Bible on Sunday mornings, she said, well, we're almost done going through the Bible. What are we going to do next? And I went, well, there's still material. We just go back now and, and, and unpack it. And we will go back and look at the problem of suffering in some depth later on. But this story, you need to know something about this story. It's very old. It is the oldest story we've got. There are many who make the case that there, the evidence here is that this predates Moses by some years. There are so many things not mentioned in this book. Jerusalem. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the temple, the tabernacle, all of those things were yet to come. This is an old story. In fact, it may have originated as far back as 1500 BC, which would make it one of the earliest stories in existence. But it's in a format which was very well understood at that time. And there are many stories in that format. It goes like this. A good man is attacked by misfortune, by evil, or by the gods. His friends don't understand why this is happening, and they try to help him. Their help, however, only adds to his pain. And at the very end, he is vindicated by the gods. This story is not about the gods, but about the God and man, and what it means to be a creature and not the creator. This book as we have it today was probably, by the way, finalized by Ezra and other scribes in, in around 500 to 600 B.C. It is a, it's it's an old kind of Hebrew. And as I warned you last week, I said, read it in two or three different versions because some of the words that occur in Job occur nowhere else in the Old Testament. So it's hard to figure out exactly what do we, how do we translate this word? And I keep going back to that because it's important that you know that one of the first things God wanted to do in introducing himself to mankind was to talk about suffering. Isn't that interesting? He didn't really lead within the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That would be written later. This story comes earlier. This is what it means to be man. This is what it means to be God. And here's what's going on. It's an introduction. Now, that may terrify you, but it shouldn't. It's our earliest story of our relationship to God and our universe. Working with atheists, as I do quite a bit, the number one complaint really boils down to that God's not running the universe the way they would run it if they were God. And I think that's, that's true. This universe isn't being run the way I would run it if I were God. I wouldn't wipe out flu. I would just not let good people get it. And I would decide who is good. <laughs> I would always have an open line with a ready checker at Walmart. And we laughed, but I would also not let Josh get cancer. I lost two of my best friends last year to cancer. I wouldn't let that happen. So why, God? 
the book of Job. Our response to the worst that could happen to us is the barometer of our soul. It tells us who we are. What happens to us doesn't matter. It's how we respond. That matters. We're not required to retreat into some false piety or a fantasy that says, well, I, it's all part of God's wondrous plan. No. We are allowed, we are even encouraged to engage with God, to engage with each other when it comes to suffering. We're encouraged to ask the hard questions. We're encouraged to say, God, what are you doing? Because God opens with this story, and the Jews learned it a long time ago, that arguing with God is the quickest way to learn what he's doing. Suffering is a universal traveler. It visits all of us. Everybody in this room is suffering. And everybody in this room thinks, but the others don't understand my suffering. Isn't it interesting that in the book of Ecclesiastes, the only semi-pessimistic book we've really got outside of Job, well, Lamentations too, says there's nothing new. Anything that's happened to you has happened to others. And in some ways, that's a bit harsh. They handled it, you handle it. Yeah, but you know, you've never been here before. This is new to you. I accept that when I stand up on Sunday, what I say will really touch some, will completely miss others, and will upset some more because you're in different places. And I get that. It doesn't bother me. It, I wish, if I were God, it wouldn't run that way. But I'm not God, and I think we can all agree that's a good thing. You're not God either. We will journey through this universe, but we will not make it unscathed and unscarred and untouched. Our God didn't. Why do you think we would? Think about it. We, um, we often think about the sacrifice of Jesus, and we should, and we'll talk a, a bit about that. But... God's heart is broken. He is the rejected lover who keeps pouring out gifts on people who turn and say, I hate you. I'm not going to listen to you. I don't want to live with you. The comedian, actor, and philosopher Stephen Fry has a two-and-a-half-minute video which has made a lot of rounds on YouTube. A lot of people watching. He's an atheist, well-known atheist. And he comes to the point where he says, I am asked to know God, and my response is no to God. And he said, if I found there was a God, I would challenge him at the gates of heaven and refuse to enter in. And he lists his complaints. How are we supposed to respond when bad things happen to us? Is it that it? Is it we're supposed to get mad at God and walk away? There comes a time, and in some lives, many times, when all hell breaks loose, and there's no other way to phrase it, suddenly, unexpectedly, cataclysmically, hell breaks loose. And you, you, wonder, you, you wonder if you're going to survive this. The universe is now playing hardball, and you're caught without a glove. How do I deal with this? Then doubt comes, and Job had doubts. You know, when people say, oh, the patience of Job, I know immediately they didn't read the book. 
it lasts about three chapters. Then they'll say, no, no, I had a person correct me this week. No, it's not about the patience. It's about the faith of Job. And I'm going, have you read it? Because he does believe in God. But he doubts God's interest or God's goodness. Have you ever? I have. I've, I've, I've yelled at God. I remember the time I realized that there was a God. And I looked up at the ceiling of my wee flat in the southwest of Scotland, and I said out loud, all right, so you're there, but I don't like you. And I don't know what I'm supposed to do about it. I remember that day as if it was yesterday. I still remember all the emotions there. We, in Job's place, would have doubted God's interest and would have doubted God's goodness. To review, the story is well known the devil says Job only loves God because God keeps giving him nice stuff. And the devil has a point. I love God a lot better on sunny, warm days when I'm not fighting a cold than I do on dreary winter days when I am. I do. I'm that shallow. I love God a lot more when Christmas comes off without a hitch instead of it being virus palooza. I understand what Lucifer is saying. Then the devil goes further and says, turn off that faucet of blessing and Job will turn and curse you instead. Remember that the devil's been opposed to the plan of God from day one. He didn't like this plan. He thinks it's a bad plan. This is going to be a test case. So Job loses everything. His family, his fortune, his reputation, his health. He goes from top of the world to literally sitting in ashes, scraping at sores on him with a broken pot, uh, piece of pottery while his wife leans over him and says, curse God and die. And you can't get lower. What did he do? What did he do to bring this on? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. What did I do to deserve this? Nothing. But you do need to know something. Just like trees in the forest, those who stand the tallest will draw the most lightning. One of the rules of combat is look unimportant. They might be running low on ammo. You don't want to be the guy they shoot at. By the way, Americans are the reason why we don't have pretty uniforms anymore because everybody was firing muskets, which is a ball basically about as accurate as putting a lead ball in a bucket and slinging it. Americans decided to use rifles. Slower to load, but you actually, this is a strange concept, hit something. And therefore, our peacocks, a.k.a. officers with the big hats and the big gold stuff sitting there, all of a sudden weren't safe. Guess what? If you rise up as a leader among God's people or as an important person in your house training your children, lightning may very well strike you. And it's not because God doesn't like you, but because you're doing something right. When hell breaks loose, it's often because you're doing the right thing. So the counselors come. Eliphaz sometimes called Eliphaz, but the point is he's dead, doesn't matter. Eliphaz, 
Bildad, shortest man in the Bible, because he's called Bildad the shoe height, which I, sorry. Previously, I thought it was Nehemiah, Nehemiah, but it's Bildad. I have a lot of spare time. Um, and then Zophar, each was his respected leader among his people. Each was a good person, and each arrived wanting to help their friend and brought with them bad theology, the same theology we bring today. What is stunning about the book of Job to me is that we still believe the theology of Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. That bad things happen because God planned it as part of his good and wondrous plan, and bad things happen because you deserve them. And who are we to question God? You've heard this. John Piper, noted Calvinist preacher, very popular preacher today after the shootings of the babies at Newtown, Connecticut, the next day on a radio show was asked point blank by the announcer, you're a Calvinist, do you truly believe God decided which child got shot and which one didn't? And he said, yes. The spirit of Zophar and Bildad and Eliphaz lives. They started well. They remained with him in silence for a long time. And if you don't know how to visit somebody, who's got the diagnosis of cancer, who has lost a baby, lost a job or whatever, sitting with them silently is a really good start. You're just with them. The Navajo people, I don't know if this is true among all Native Americans. I've worked some with the Navajo. Work some is an exaggeration. I've done some visiting and some bits and pieces among them. When you go to their house, you don't go knock on the door. You drive up, you slam your door pretty loud, and you stand there. If they want to see you, they open the door. That's really what these guys were doing. They were sitting, waiting for Job to open the door. So Job does. He opens it with Job chapter 3 and verse 25. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. He opens with, I knew this is going to happen. We do that, don't we? Things were going too good. We, you see, he believed in dualism. That was the way that people believed at the time, that good and evil were equal forces at battle in the universe, and we get caught in the middle, and everything has to balance out. You might say, you don't believe that. But hang on. Have there ever been wonderful days, warm days in a row, late fall, early winter? And you're going, oh, that's, that's lovely. This is fantastic. We're going to pay for this later. <laughs> there you are. Even in your westerns. And if you didn't know this, Scottish little boys love westerns. They all want to be cowboys. Doesn't really work out. But in your westerns, it's quiet. It's too quiet. We do that. The kids are playing quietly. Uh-oh. There must be a problem. It started well, but Eliphaz finally had his opening, and he started, or Eliphaz, and he started by reviewing the good that Job had done, but then confronted Job with the fact, and I'm using quotation marks here, that God would only attack evil, and therefore Job must have done something wrong to cause this tragedy. Now, Eliphaz did not get to make this up on his own, he says, but in chapter 4, starting at verse 12, he said he got it from a spirit in the dark, that came to him and told him this. Be aware, 
Not every spirit that comes to you in the dark comes from God. Eliphaz was listening to somebody, but it wasn't God. He thought it was. It wasn't. The devil has always, according to Revelation 14, been the slanderer of men. Don't join his team. When others are slandering, you do not join in, because that's his team. Well, Eliphaz tells him, accept this as God's loving discipline. God has a great plan in this, and he wants you to learn something very important from this. Have you heard this? You're supposed to learn this. And Job fights back in chapter 6, verses 11 through 14. What strength do I have that I should still hope? A lot of you in this room know exactly how he feels. What prospects that I should be patient? Do I have the strength of stone? Is my flesh bronze? Do I have any power to help myself now that success has been driven from me? Anyone who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Lord Almighty. Saying, wait, what are you doing to me? What are you saying? You're withholding kindness from a friend. Learn this phrase. Truth without compassion is hostility. We're to speak the truth in love, but you speak the truth without compassion. It's hostility. Job makes his argument that sometimes things just happen. And Bildad's not going to have anything to do with it. He tells Job that God's just too righteous to let this happen for no good reason to good people. What's happening to Job and his, his response, Job's response, is a sign that there's something wrong. And basically, Bildad boils it down to, if you just prayed better, God would fix this. I live with pain. Don't like to bring it up very often because, frankly, I'm way too blessed to do so. But I live with pain. What some of you might call a migraine, vascular headaches, cluster headaches. I was too close to a few things that went boom. I also had a tumor, not malignant, removed in here years ago, and messed up the nerves. I live in pain. One day, in a very bad day, a friend of mine, wishing well, said, you, you really should come to our church instead. Because when we pray, we'll teach you how to pray, because God will fix it if you pray right. Really? Have you read John 17? Jesus said, take this away, and God didn't. Maybe your church could teach Jesus a thing or two on how to pray. I've always been kind of subtle in my responses. <clears throat> I think the reason people stick to this theology is it gives them comfort. We're good, so nothing bad will happen to us. We're good. It terrifies us to think that the universe has a lot of random components, and we might not be safe just because we're Christian. Zophar tells Job, you're not allowed to be angry with God. Stop that. That's interesting. But the rest of the Bible unfolds and shows a lot of people angry at God, doesn't it? Gideon, Abimelech, Jonah, Jacob, David. I don't know if you could say Jeremiah. Jeremiah's upset. I don't know if you could say angry. So Job pours out his heart in chapter 19, but his friends never acknowledge his case. Rather, they argue that as far as God is concerned, we are worms, or as some versions will put it, maggots. There's even a song 
at the cross, at the cross. It's been rewritten in most hymn books because would he devote that sacred head, it originally said, for such a worm as I. Most songbooks today say, for such a one as I. And I'm glad because God never calls us a worm. He calls us sons and daughters. He loves us. Never calls us worms, maggots. He elevates us. So now a new kid has shown up. He's a kid. He's the youngest one, Elihu. He's, he loses his patience with everybody. And speaking of haughty, look how he responds in Job 33. Pay attention, Job. Listen to me. Be silent. I will speak. That's a good opening, don't you think? If you have something to say, answer me. Speak up, for I want to vindicate you. But if not, then listen to me. Be silent, and I will teach you wisdom. Oh. Um, he judges Job as wicked. And I can tell you're wicked because you're suffering and because you're wrestling with God, and God is good, and God wouldn't do things like this. Wow, it's nice to have that kind of commitment to what you believe, but that commitment won't survive your life. There's a reason he's the youngest. The older you get, the less you say silly things like this because the more things have happened to you. Not to, make, not to go off into the weeds, but how many were staunchly opposed to divorce and remarriage and, and, and condemned all that were involved in it until one of their children went through it. How many knew all about how to deal with suffering till they went through it? How many were quick to say, if you don't go to our church, you're going to hell until one of their children went to another? It changes things, doesn't it? You begin to learn. If you're, if you're smart, you learn. But Elihu is not done. Look at Job 37. Tell us what we should say to him. We cannot draw up our case because of our darkness. The Almighty is beyond reach, exalted in power, in his justice and great righteousness. He does not oppress. Therefore, people reveal him. Does he not have regard for all the wise in heart? There's a slam. He's gone too far now. He's put words in God's mouth that God didn't want. Be careful. We don't do that. The Bible says, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. Be very careful what you say. God has had enough of the self-righteous crowd, the easy answer crowd, the blame the victim crowd. He breaks into the discussion. God shows up in chapter 38, verses 1 through 5. The Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. The reason he speaks to Job and not the others, it seems that they had left him by this stage because God calls him back later. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? In other words, who's talking about stuff they don't know? Brace yourself like a man. I'll question you. You will answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Well, the hardest things to remember is that we are not the creator, we are the creature. He is the creator. 
We are made in his image, but we're not him. The two facts of the universe all people must know and memorize, there will be a test. Number one, there is a God. Number two, it's not you. That's all you really need to know. God walks him through the cosmos. Look the way I designed it. Could you have done this? He brings him through the animal kingdom. Look at the way I did this. Could you do this? And of course, Job, even at one point, says, I got my hand over my mouth. I've got no answer. God goes, but I'm not done showing you. Yesterday, my wife and I sat, and January has been a lost month for her. We both got the flu, but then she got a sinus infection, then she got another one. A month, unheard of. It's been a hard time. So we sat and we talked. I don't believe God gave us a disease as part of his wondrous plan, but we just talked about the way that we never see God clearly except in the rearview mirror. Some of you might see him clearly out front, and I'm not being sarcastic there. Some of you might. You may have that gift. We see him in the rearview mirror. And we talked about some of our friends that are here that were also in Rochester, in Michigan. And we talked about some of the churches that are changing, doing what we're doing to follow the Spirit of God with the way we worship, with the, our, our use of our sisters, bringing them up where they belong, according to Galatians 3, and all these other churches. And we started saying, that has some people used to go to our church in Michigan. So does that one. So does that one. Well, this one didn't come from us. And we started seeing all the connections. When the disaster hit Detroit and the people scattered, we thought it was a tragedy. We didn't know God was church planting. We didn't know God was taking the church to another level everywhere. We saw it now in the rearview mirror. God is saying to Job, you live in a vast, complicated universe, and all you see is right here. You don't even see what's beyond, and those that have seen don't talk about it. If you notice that in the book of Revelation, there are some things he saw, he said that the angel said, don't write that. Paul got to go into heaven and see something, and he said it's not lawful for men to speak about it. Daniel saw it and fainted. We're not allowed to know. I'm not going to tell you the reason for suffering, because I'm not sure I know it. I will tell you that had I not suffered, I would have been insufferable. Do you understand what I mean? If I'd never, under, never been sick, never been in pain, never had a bad day, am I the person you want to be your buddy? I wouldn't, I wouldn't care whatever happened to you. I was playing golf. I used to play golf before I moved here. Now I don't know where anything is. So I, I'll get back into it. I'm a Scotsman. You have to play every so often or they take your kilt away. It's a rule. Um, so there were the four of us playing, and I was having a pain day, and people could tell it but I was still enjoying the day. And another guy was talking about he often had migraines when a good friend of mine, Kevin, um, looked around and he just said, you know, I've never had a headache in my life. You don't say that. So I turned to Kevin and I said, Kevin, you're a carrier. You don't experience it, but you cause it. 
God, God wants us to realize who we are. And I don't know what our job is in heaven, but it could be that you need to walk through a veil of tears to be prepared. I got to move on. We have starting point and connections and all that other. Uh, Job humbles himself in chapter 42. But God is not done with those self-righteous people yet. And so he calls them back. And in chapter 42, verses 7 and 8, look what he says. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Tiamite, I'm angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. Read the book of Job again. And you go, wait a minute. Yeah, Job spoke the truth. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourself. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. Do you understand the weight of what he has just done? And later, Jesus will look at us and say, when you enter a house, if you bless it, blessing will fall on it. But if you don't, it won't. He also calls us the temple of God. The temple is where you got forgiveness. The temple is where you met God. He says, like with Job, that Job is where these people are going to meet their forgiveness or not. This is where they're going to be blessed or not. It's up to Job. Christians, maybe one of the reasons we suffer is so that we will care for the others that are suffering and offer to them forgiveness and grace and mercy and peace. Job is in favor with God and with man. But may, may I caution you against an easy wrap-up here? Because it looks easy. Some people have even believed it was tacked on later. I'm not sure that's true. But it says, now he got twice as much riches and twice as many children. And I've had people say, he was, he was twice as much blessed as he was at the first. No, he wasn't. I have two children. If those children suffered horrific deaths and God gave us four children, would I say, hey, I'm twice as off as... No, for the rest of my life, I would mourn and grieve my babies every day. Job is scarred for the rest of his life. He is also blessed. We are scarred and we are blessed. Jesus was scarred to the point where he said to those that had issues with that, you want to touch my scars? You want to know who I am? Touch my scars, Thomas. How did we ever think that scars weren't part of the program? As a man once said a few years ago, scars are tattoos with better stories. You earn. You pay for a tattoo. You earn your scar. Mark, would you bring your team up? Someone around you is hurting. Maybe it's you. But I want to tell you something. If it's you that's hurting, don't wait for somebody to come to you. Two things. One, go to somebody and say, I'm hurting. But two, go to another hurting person and help them. Do not wait until you are fine to help others. 
They need a broken person to help them. Someone is hurting. We will always have pain, sickness, and hurt among us. Our response is to love them, hug them, help them to see Jesus through us. Touch our scars. And by doing that, touch his. And remind them that this world is not a place where our standing before God is real obvious by the way we're being blessed. God's love is certain even in the darkest times. We sing in the storm. The song we sang, Oceans, and a lot more of them knew it than we expected. That was brilliant. Was lifted from the book of Job. A lot of the lines come from Job. We, the difference between Christians and others, all suffer. We will sing hymns in the dark. We will sing hymns when we are chained. Would you stand and let us sing our faith to our Father?